Hello, welcome to Local Anaesthetic Podcast. This is your weekly injection of mind-numbing local news. My name is Alex, this is Rob. Hello. Um, and this is episode 67 now. Um, we can be found on our website, which is www.podcast.net. From there you can download all of our previous 66 episodes, every single one of them, and there are links there to all our other various web pages. But we can be found on Twitter at LA Podcast. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash LA Podcast. Um, and if you want to email us in our store, uh, if, if you want to email us in a story, and remember we only feature one listener story in each episode, we pick out the best, then you can email us at lapodcast.net at gmail.com. That's lapodcast.net at gmail.com. Now, Rob, I wanted to kick us off this week by asking you about, you told me mm-hmm. um, in the week that you wanted to get a tattoo. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm assuming, being how dedicated you are to this podcast, the tattoo is going to be local anaesthetic uh, branding on your forehead. Um, or maybe on the back I, of your neck. I'd love to tell you that's true, but no. That would be I dedication. I could get a local anaesthetic tattoo. Yeah. But I was thinking that just to start off, I might be just going something a bit more, you know, classic. So what is it that you wanted and where? I'm getting a heart tattoo with an arrow going through it. Say, mum. <laughs> Do you want to see it? Because I did, I know, yeah. I, I did, and this is completely true, I did actually text Alex last Sunday to ask, because Alex... If I could mock quite, up some artwork. No, because you're, uh, no, Not a give yourself credit, I'm going to be, yeah. a, for once I'm going to give you credit. You are a good, you're a good artist. Yes, I am. And I, I thought if I give you the, the two images, you can combine them. Uh, but then I thought, fuck it, I'll just go with a picture that I already know. Oh, right, okay. Um, so, oh, right, so you don't need me anymore then. No, sorry, uh, yeah. you've been dumped. Okay. Um, so the picture I'm going to go with... Um, is it's a bit simple. Um, you may like it, you may not. I never knew you wanted a tattoo. Well, I've been th- I've been toying with it, and, and you know, you get to an age, Alex, where you think I need a tattoo. What yeah. does your other half think about it? Oh, she, she she's quite, you know she's quite happy. Has she with been it. encouraging you to do it, or is it? Uh, yeah, she's you know she's happy with it. She hasn't forced me to. It's not. No, like was it her suggestion? Did no, she I'm say, getting a name tattooed on my neck. Rob, did she did has she did she encourage you? Did she say you know Rob a tattoo might make you look more manly? Uh, no, no, no. She said the weights will do that. Uh, so this is it. Right, it's a man in the moon. Yeah. Where are you going to have it? I'm not sure yet. That's pretty good, though, because it's very nice, simple line illustration. They'll be able to do that quite I simply. thought it was quite fun. Where are you thinking of having it? I think it's going to be on my arm somewhere. Or around my nipple. No, that, that's, that's a joke. Your left butt It's going on my testicle. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I liked, I liked the, um, the picture. And like I said, it's very simple. It's a hand-drawn picture. What does this represent to you? Well... Um, it's quite a, it, I have to say that if I explain this, it's not, it's not going to be a great comedy value. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. It's, uh, for my mum, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Well, she was a fan of the moon? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was, she was a werewolf. Um, no, she liked the, um, uh, the, uh, the Piro, the clown. Does that mean anything to you? No. You just see like one single black. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Okay. And he's often seen sitting on the man in the mood. He's Why don't you get a single black tear underneath one of your eyes? You do know what that reset represents, don't, don't you? No, what does it represent? That's a gang tattoo for the, to signify you've killed a fellow gang member. Get that then. I will. Okay, Rob. As usual, I'm just going to... 
kick us off here with a few... Well, it's a couple, actually, of stories here. I thought, Rob, that you would like an update on the mentally ill man um, from Downham last This year. was the man who was, who was traumatised by, uh, by numerous women. Well, yeah, and the thing is, you laughed about it before. Men can be the victim, Rob, of domestic violence. But Alex, the story didn't go into any detail as to how he'd been traumatised. Yeah, it doesn't mean you should be suspicious of it. Would you like an update on what's going on? Of course I would. If anybody would like to know what the original story was, um, listen to last week's episode. (laughs) Nice, yeah. 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 I'm not going to recap it. They can find out. Yeah. So the story's by Patrick Grafton Green. I think he wrote the original one. It's from the 11th of June. It's from the News Shopper. Um, and I've been told I don't always pronounce that right. It's the news shopper. It's two separate words. News shopper. I have to say, towards the very beginning of doing this podcast, I think I was updating the website, and I had, I didn't realise it I was, don't think it was the all, news shopper. I don't think it was towards the very beginning, Rob. I think that, that you were under that, um, uh, you know, you had that misunderstanding going for about the first 30 episodes, as I remember. That might be true. Anyway, a downer man who went on hunger strike after his benefits were taken away has not eaten for 23 days now, Rob, Fuck. despite having his benefits restored. Right. Yeah, so George Rolfe, 60, of Capstone Road, stopped eating on May 20th after he was, he says, wrongly deemed capable of work following an assessment by ATOS Healthcare. Okay, so he's decided to remain without food in the hope to raise awareness for people in a similar position to the one he found himself in. He's told New Shopper, I don't want to die, but I will not stay in a country with a government that is willing to treat the weakest and most vulnerable people in this way. What I want to happen is for anyone appealing against their benefits being taken away to have their benefits restored until their appeal has been heard. I also want the government to review how ATOS carries out its assessments. So this is a protest, Rob. The hunger strike continues to affect him physically. However, he is determined to stick to it. He said... I have not been sleeping well for the last four nights, and when I wake up, I get slight kidney pains. Well, yeah, that's what happens. I have sluggish thinking, and I've had a couple of minor dizzy spells. I'm surprised he's only had a couple of minor dizzy spells. I think I'd be dizzy. I think I'd be dizzy by about ten hours in. Yeah, yeah. I think I have, so. And then he says, "I have one other strange symptom. Sometimes I wake up with a pinpoint of heat on my belly, but it doesn't cause me any pain. That isn't a strange symptom. That's called gnawing hunger, isn't it?" <laughs> Yeah, what is it? he's just experiencing hunger. That's what's going on here. I would say, though, Mr. Rolf is drinking fluids and has been since day seven of the strike. So he's on fluids, Rob. Um, he, I don't understand... I hope that doesn't include soup. Yeah. That would be cheating, Rolf. Always, sure. own, uh, always own your own. Um, I don't understand... I still don't understand what his cause is. He wants... He's saying that I'm doing it for all those other people out there who are being wrongly assessed by ATOS as being fit to work. He's trying to get the, his hunger strike. But he doesn't want to die, so this will end at some stage. Well, I, I have no idea. Because I'm pretty sure this government will just let him die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Robert, there are some great comments on this, because you remember all the comments last time. By the way, when he does die, ATOS will then declare that he's fit for work. <laughs> You remember all the brilliant comments from last week? Yes, yeah, yeah. They're just as good this week. Right. Um, David FGJ says, Why would you ruin your health over this? Get some food down, you're a man up, you idiot. <laughs> Sympathetic. Um, Mariners says, God bless you, you are a warrior. There were lots of very positive comments on what this man was doing. I've sure mainly chose to read out the negative ones. Alan Dis says, uh, Rob, this is a classic comment. Right. This man epitomises everything that's wrong with this country. He's a benefit scrounger playing the system, and here we have other benefit scroungers making him out to be a hero. Is it any wonder some of the youth of t- is it any wonder some of the youth of today pull the same strokes working the system? You have no shame, Rolf, getting your name in the papers and now known as a work shy pussy whipped clown. That's an episode title right there. I said I was thinking as I read that somebody's just written our episode title. <laughs> work shy pussy whipped clown. Yep. You like it? Yep. 
Um, uh, David FGJ says, Here, here, Mr. Rolf is an absolute muppet. <laughs> nice. Uh, Paul Arith. Hey, he's I back. Don't, I don't think we've heard from him for about no. 20 episodes. He said, You've had your benefits restored, so stop the hunger strike. When you finally collapse, the NHS is going to have to foot the bill for trying to keep you alive. How selfish is that? Someone else could die because you take up a bed through your own choice. Uh, Jippo Joe says to the guy who called him a pussy whipped clown, yeah. he says, well said, Bob, that's the word I was looking for, pussy whipped. We need to put out a shout for a set of gonads for George. If anyone has a spare set hanging around, then send them to George, please. Even a worn set would do. In fact, anything. Uh, Psycho Paul, and I don't know if that's connected. Psycho Paul? I don't know if that's an alias for Paul Errath. Right. So the person who just said uh, he needs gonads, he said, you need the gonads. You're so afraid of responsibility, you've allowed our government to fuck you up the arse while laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> Wake up, idiots. Your ignorance, is Your ignorance is perpetuating the genocide. 10,600 people died in 2012 because of ATOS. Which really does make them sound like the Nazis. It does. Well, on a smaller scale. Yeah. If the real scroungers paid their taxes, there would be no debt, therefore no need for austerity. Iceland jailed its criminal bankers and politicians, but you have been so brainwashed that you probably think fascism is democracy. George is a human being and deserves due consideration, as do we all. Paul Erith weighs in on this. Right. He says, the 10,600 figure has proven to be a load of rubbish. It's no more than an urban myth. Uh, unfortunately, Paul Erith has spelt myth, M-I-T-H. I always thought Paul Erith was intelligent, but yeah. I'm changing my mind. Some big firms have been shown to evading tax, and obviously this should be addressed. However, it wouldn't even get close to making up the £80 billion budget deficit. Simple economics, even an idiot could understand, dictate this is not sustainable. We can't keep spending out on welfare by borrowing, otherwise eventually the whole economy collapses and things get very bad. Some people genuinely deserve help. I'm not judging George Case per se, because I have no idea about the details. He may well be one of the genuine ones. However, the welfare state should be totally scaled back to what it was originally meant to be, i.e. a safety net, to provide the absolute minimum standard of living for those who fall on in hard times. So he's obviously fully with uh, coalition policy on this, but Rob, really it's is. his last paragraph, which is extraordinary. I want to know what you think about it. Okay. He says, council houses are an example. Why do I know lots of people that put their name down on the housing register at 16 and eventually get given a house? There's a lot of them around my way. They all have parents that they should have lived with until they could afford to move out. Why does anyone think they should have a God-given right to a council house? As I said before, what should be done are for those that are genuinely deemed necessary to be given a house, cram them in. Make people and families house share to bring down the cost. They still have a roof over their heads, but it would give them an incentive to get out there and move up the ladder. Nobody on benefit should have a comfortable lifestyle. So his policy is, if you're going to give somebody benefits, just make their life as miserable as possible. Like, ram, ram families into a one-bedroom flat so it's so detestable that they have an incentive to get out there and work. What do you to think? To be fair, I think, you know, why, why, not, why stop there? I mean, I, I, do, I find that the, uh, the, uh, the ghettos that worked in places like Warsaw were really effective. Yeah, yeah. yeah that got people out to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jippo Joe... Whether they liked it or not. Absolutely. Jippo Joe says, responsibility, now there's a word. What, do you mean like not sucking off the government teeth for the foreseeable future? Maybe go out and get a job and pay your own way like the majority of us do. Or do you mean irresponsible, like George? Come up with some fictitious shit excuse not to work. <laughs> I hope Atos hound this man and more like him until they do get to work. Wow. Um, my second story uh, is a more light-hearted one, Rob, but nevertheless extraordinary. Right. Um, it seems to have been reported without much irony. I, I, anyway, it's from, oh, the it's from the Daily Echo, Rob. Um, there's no journalist reported. Um, the headline itself is extraordinary enough, so prepare yourself. Right. Um, I don't think we've ever had a headline like this. Weasel Poo Coffee is on the menu at a lecture with a difference. <laughs> Weasel Poo Coffee. Weasel poo coffee, eh? Yes. There's an aphrodisiac. Would you like the story? Of course. Pigs trotters, intestines, and coffee made from weasel excrement were on the menu at a oh, university God. lecture with a difference. 
The unique food tasting event was one of the highlights of the first week of Bournemouth University's Festival of Learning, which runs until June 14th. Uh, so I think uh, it is June 14th, it's over. <laughs> it is the first time Bournemouth University has opened its doors to the general public and invited them in to see firsthand the facilities they offer and the work they do. It surprises me that this is the first time Bournemouth University has opened its doors to the general public, no? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's what's on the menu. What kind of secretive campus is this? <laughs> anyway, the event, Rob, includes more than 100 free activities from hands-on children's experiments... Don't know what that is. Sounds they, they did that in concentration camps as well. <laughs> Sounds dodgy to me. <laughs> to thought-provoking debates, Rob. Yeah, about which, weasel poo coffee. Which is what really universities are meant to be about, isn't yeah. it? Do you want to hear some of the workshop titles, Rob? <laughs> yes. Are they good? Uh, one of the workshops is entitled Don't Eat Poo and Die. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one, <laughs> one of the workshops is entitled Don't Eat Poo and Die. Eat, Poo and Live, an investigation into the things that we eat and the things that we don't. It's quite a long title. Sorry, is the, is, is the sole purpose of, the, of this uh, this discussion to, to say that you should be eating... Shit. Rice. But not dying. Rob, Rob. You have to filter it. Look, if you want to go to university, right, if you really want to go, then you've got to be, accept that you're going to have to pay £9,000 a year or whatever it is, and the probably way you're going to have to survive because you're having to have, you know, have these massive student deaths is to eat shit. Yeah, that seems right, to right. me to be a decent compromise because you're going to come out of university and we all know you're going to earn so much money. Yeah, so it's fair, isn't it? Sure, I, mean, what... I suppose that, you know, that way the only real expenditure is maybe a fishing net. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just, just for anybody who didn't hear that, I just would like to give you the name of the workshop again. Don't eat poo and die, eat poo and live. An investigation into the things that we eat and the things that we don't. Uh, Sean Beer, a senior lecturer in the School of Tourism, took the audience through a journey of the weird and wonderful food from different cultures, including civet coffee, an expensive coffee made from beans found in the faeces of the Asian palm civet weasel. Uh, Jenny Rose, 37, from Kinson, and eight-year-old daughter Emma said, We liked hearing about the coffee. We've definitely got plans to get Grandad some of that. But you're not going to drink it yourself, just for Grandad. <laughs> yeah, random comment there. We hate Grandad. Yeah. Hey, Rob, you got some stories for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Alex. Um, Are they of a low calibre? No, 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 no. There are two stories that are kind of bending the rules yet again. Um, Why? This story was kind of in the Swindon Advertiser. Um, it's you... a national story. It was actually by the Press Association, but it did feature in the Swindon Advertiser. Okay. So, I'll let this one go. Okay. Man admits Louis Theroux pub con. A man has admitted to conning pub staff into believing he was TV star Louis Theroux. Alan Debenham, 39, pleaded guilty to two charges of making a false representation by, by claiming he was, in quotes... Louis Theroux from the BBC. <laughs> I'm not sure if he, went in, he actually went into the pub and said that. Louis Theroux is a very distinctive looking man. Have you got a picture of this There guy? is a picture of him. Yeah, would you like to see yeah, it? I'd like to it see it early on. I, think, I think it'll, it'll spoil the story. Um, so, uh, this is him. He looks nothing... No, I would not believe that's Louis Theroux. He, he looks like a fat Louis Theroux 20 years on. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Louis Theroux's got a brother, hasn't he? Or a relative called Paul Theroux, who's an actor. He was in Mulholland Drive. Yes. But I think he's more obscure. I don't think if you said I'm Paul Theroux, they, is it Paul? Yeah, I think that's his name. I don't think they I know think it is Paul Theroux. I think it's something else. Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux. That's yeah. it. Okay. Um, Debenham booked a room at the £70 per night Duke of York at Shepton Bewcamp. That has to be in Somerset. Uh, near, near Ilminster, Somerset. Uh, in the name of the documentary maker. This is uh, a hotel? Yes. £70 a night? Well, it's a pub. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 
And, and Why and, would Louis Theroux be staying at £70 per night room in a pub? Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, in the name of the documentary filmmaker, uh, magistrates in Yeovil were told. Debenham provided staff at the pub with a phone number for the BBC Finance Department and an order number to arrange payment for his three-night stay. Clever. The, <laughs> the next style I particularly like. The homeless alcoholic also pretended to be Mr. Theroux's personal assistant and got them to phone two bo- uh, and got them to put two bottles of wine uh, on his room tab. Presumably he didn't do that bit in person. No. Because that would have blown his cover. It does seem to suggest that he also had someone acting as his PA who would then call up downstairs and say, could you take some, like, two bottles of wine? Um, what a brilliant ruse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was only rumbled when staff became suspicious when the PA telephoned asking for two bottles of wine and, in quotes, some fags to be taken to Mr. Debenham's room. Why? Did they know that, that Louis Threw doesn't smoke? Uh, no. They, they think that uh, if it was a PA, they'd be more professional and use all cigarettes. Oh. That's true. Um, prosecutor Emma Chetland uh, told uh, South <laughs> Somerset Magistrates Court that on the evening of the 21st of April, a man called the pub saying he was Louis Threw from the BBC and made a reservation for three nights. Later, the pub receives another call um, purporting to be Louis Threw's PA, who gives the telephone number of the BBC's finance department and an order number to arrange payment. Miss Cleeton said um, he also asked for two bottles of wine to be left outside the room. The PA rings again and asks for two bottles of wine of Carver and some facts <laughs> to use his room. <laughs> Sorry, to use his words. At least you didn't ask for two bottles of blue nun. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm assuming they mean fags as in cigarettes. Uh, to be left outside the room. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the person taking the call became suspicious that they used the word fags rather than cigarettes. They called the telephone number that was left and found it to be unobtainable. And then they called the BBC to tell them that the order number is not one they recognise. What a brilliant story. Yeah. Uh, do you like to know what, what, just what sentence he got? Um, can I guess? Uh, you certainly can, yeah. He wouldn't have been imprisoned for this. Uh, no, no. Oh, you can't guess. He hasn't been sentenced yet. That was a fun game. <laughs> I apologise. Should have read that in advance. The next story uh, is only a short one. Uh, it's from the Australian Union Journal. Because I, you know, I do like a story from the Australian Union Journal. It's so often. Who seemed, can I just say, because if you listen to our early episodes, there were a lot of stories coming out of Stroud that suggested that they had embraced communism in one way, shape or form. That seems to have completely died down. I think so, yeah. Completely backtracked. From I that. think the, the uprising has been... Quashed. Do you think it's because we reported on that? Quite possibly. Maybe the, the rebels went into hiding. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forklift truck catches fire in Quedgley Warehouse. It's by the faceless SNJ reporter. Fire crews from Stroud and Gloucester recorded to stop a fire spreading from a forklift truck in a warehouse on the Quedgley Trading Estate East. The incident was reported just before 10.30pm on Thursday. Firefighters arrived at the scene to find, find the truck well alight and took 20 minutes to extinguish the flames, which completely destroyed the vehicle. There's a comment. Somebody commented on that story. Somebody commented on that story. Um, That's my forklift truck. <laughs> I bought that for the insurance money. Uh, it's always insurance money. Um, Crow says, Perhaps with something as serious as fire, you could put more information in the title. I know you want people to click on the news article, but you may alarm many people with a vagueness and, and non-specifying of the location. What's the headline again? Um, the headline was... Forklift truck catches fire in Quedgley Warehouse. That's very specific. Maybe they misread the, the article. It is quite a long one, to be fair. Do you think they amended it based on that comment? Do you think it just originally said, Forklift truck catches fire in Stroud? 
and he panicked. And he panicked. <laughs> yeah, maybe it could. Like, He's not been hiding under the sofa rob for six days. He's he could be. Re- <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Hopefully, he'll be able to sleep well on tonight. Um, the last story is a kind of a, uh, a curveball. Um, I saw this on Twitter because I follow I follow this particular paper, and I, I feel that I can uh, report this and uh, report this and justify why I've done it. It's from the Manchester Evening News. Well, to be fair, you went to university in Manchester. So I did. Like, so, I did. You, so you claim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, also, I did live in Manchester as well. well, um, well obviously, if you went to university there, I assume you weren't commuting from Swindon. Well, the, uh, the, account, the campus was Chal- actually... Wherever it is you live. Yeah. Chal- Chalford. Wait, is that I, what it's called? I, I haven't asked you this for a while, and now you've completely, it's completely gone out your hand, hasn't it? Is it Chalford? It is Chalford, yeah. yeah. Oh, Can't remember where it is on the map, yeah. Technically, my campus was in Crewe, which is a long way from Manchester. Okay, get on with it. Uh... The story is by Richard Wheatstone, and uh, the headline is: Motorist drives along Metlink track and abandons her car near Holt Town, East Manchester, halting tram service. The Metrolink, by the way, is the tram service. Right, you might have got that from the uh, from the what you just stupidly said. long headline. Yeah, the Metrolink service carrying around six hundred passengers was terminated between two stations after a woman was spotted by the tram driver. A hapless motor- motorist halted a tram carrying hundreds of passengers after driving 200 yards along the Metrolink line and abandoning her car. Why? She turned off the road and started driving down the, the Met lines. Why? She got confused, Alex. <laughs> this is absolutely true. It'd be quite hard to drive on Met lines, wouldn't it? There, uh, there's another version of this article, and, they, and one of the passengers said you could hear the scraping as a car, as, 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 as alloy scrapes well, along the track. One of these things, that once, she'd, once she'd embarked on this path, she couldn't turn back, and she just thought, I need to follow this for as long as it goes. Uh, apparently, at no stage did she, did she try and reverse. Do you want to see a picture? Yeah. Oh, dear God. It's... And there's a video of her just literally driving down the tram lines. Was she trying to get somewhere quickly? No, uh, well, I'll, I'll follow this up in a second. She found her way onto the track near Holt Town Station in Bradford, East Manchester, and continued to drive up the Metlink line around 7.40 on Saturday after towing the black Nissan Qashqai, your car, uh, around... Mine silver. Oh, yes, this is black, yeah. Uh, and attempted to head back down towards the road. The motorist was then stopped by the, tra- the tram driver. So, she, literally, she started driving back and was confronted by a tram. Hundreds of passengers were forced to get off the tram and walk along the track to safety. Witnesses reporting hearing loud squeals as a vehicle scraped along the metal track and was later discovered to have punctured the front tyre. Um, the car was moved from the track by Metrolink staff within 20 minutes and the woman was later spoken to by police but not arrested. Metrolink bosses uh, insist clear signal was impeccable. Sorry. Metrolink bosses in clear... Metrolink bosses insist clear signing was in place to prevent motorists from driving onto the tracks. Um, you don't need a clear sign to tell you not to drive on a track. Well, you should say that, it's, but I have, there is a follow-up story, which I haven't had a chance to read properly, but I just wanted, there was a, I read a quote, which was just fantastic. There's another picture of her, by the way, she's driving down this track, <laughs> which, I mean, which it, is just absurd. What's, what's funny is, is it, it, yeah, it look, it, it, for, for people who can't see the picture, it looks just like a railway track, and there's just a car driving with the wheels on each of the tracks, which would be, almost, I mean, quite difficult to do. Well, the, I read this on the, on the tube on the way here, so uh, the follow-up story of it, there is no sign of any danger, says Gran, who drove onto tram tracks. It's a Gran. Oh, how old was she? 64. Oh, OK. So not that old. Um, a Gran who drove 200 yards at the Metrolink line, bringing trams to a halt, has blamed transport bosses for the mishap. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Smith, 64, has been rescued by staff after getting her Nissan Qashqai stuck on the tracks between Holt Town and 
is it the Edis campus? What's the name of the Manchester Stadium? I can't remember who sponsored them. It's the, it's the um, uh, I can't remember the name of the sponsor. Campus Stations. But she claims she only ended up on the tram lines because of a lack of clear signs on Ashton New Road, which led to her taking the wrong turn. Mm. Your thoughts on that? Well, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's, it, also, she, there is another pe- a group of people that she blames for this. Gypsies. Well, it's a bit more obscure than that. Hispanics. Again. Miss Smith from, from Levenshume also blasted Bon Jovi fans who mocked her... <laughs> oh, wasn't <laughs> We could have been here all night. <laughs> yeah. bon who mocked her as a car scrapes on the tracks with a puncture in the front left tyre. Uh, I'm just going back to you. Just they mocked her. They mocked Can her. we think of any Bon Jovi songs they could have mocked her with? Um, I'm afraid I'm not a huge Bon Jovi aficionado. I can't. Living on the tracks, maybe. Is it? Is there? Um, is, there is there one called Living on the Tracks? Or that's Living on a Prayer. Oh. Um, living on the tracks. Driving on the tracks. Na, 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 hey I think the listeners get the idea. Living on the tracks. There's only one comment. There's one comment that's worth reading. It's a pathetic idea that you have there. Yeah. Well, you come up with something better next time. Scott Cooper comments by saying. That's what happens when we get rid of the tram in the 1930s and then bring them back. It confuses people, obviously. So, because, <laughs> because she wasn't used to that being there when she was driving in the 1930s. <laughs> I mean, he was being uh, sarcastic, was he? I assume he was being ironic, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, Rob, I've got some absolute caucus stories for you here. Okay. I chose not to lead with these. I chose to put them all together and they're, they're all grouped under the theme, Rob, of death. And no, any of these Andrew, Andrew Parks? No, no, no Andrew Parks story this week. I'm sorry, I didn't want to read it so out. So it's not his eventual suicide? No, no. It, it wasn't that. Okay. Um, and you shouldn't laugh about that, Rob, just in case it ever happens. Yeah, that's true. Now, Rob, the as I say, these are all to do with death and mortality, right? Okay? Um, as you will soon discover. I'm going to go from sort of... Uh, uh, small to big here. Shortest story to longest story, I think. Okay. This is a very short one, Rob. It's a, it's a sad story. Um, it's from the new shopper. Um, it's by Sam Christie. It was reported on Monday the 10th of June. Rob, porpoise washes up next to Greenhithe pub. Wow. Drinkers wow. in Greenhithe High Street were shocked to discover a porpoise wash, washed up <laughs> next to a pub this afternoon. And I, and I do want to be clear in my pronunciation about this. I'm talking about a porpoise. I'm not talking about a collection of vagabonds, which which would have the term porpoise. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a blackadder joke there for anybody who remembers it. <laughs> um, the dead animal was spotted on the steps to the Sir John Franklin pub, which looks out onto the River Thames. Didn't Gar- even make it to the door. No, he didn't even make it to the door, Rob. Gary Snell, 52, the High Street pub's landlord, said one of my customers told me there's a porpoise or dolphin on the back steps. <laughs> <laughs> they are difficult, difficult to. That's going to be an old day, isn't it? When you when, when you bar, when your regulars walk somewhere, Jeff, there's a porpoise stroke dolphin on the, the steps. steps, and you say, I think you've had enough, mate. <laughs> uh, it's well over a meter long. To be on this stretch of river of unusual, I've never seen one down here before. I didn't know there were any fucking porpoises in the River Thames. No, I did thought you? they were they were more porpoises. Yes. yes, porpoise. No, I, I thought they were maybe in sort of warmer climes than this. Yes, the Port of London Authority is waiting until the tide comes in before removing the animal. Would you like to see a picture of the dead porpoise? Uh, it doesn't really give a good sense of scale because remember this is well over a meter long. This picture just makes it look like a fish. I'm not sure how big a porpoise is. But it's well over a meter long. This. I mean, that's not really on the bottom of the pub of the steps, isn't it? That's clearly on the pub, uh, on, on the, the steps, steps coming up from the, I'm guessing, the banks of the Thames. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's what a dead porpoise looks like, Rob. It just looks like a massive tuna. <laughs> <laughs> right, Rob, my next story, uh, just as sad, 
but uh, slightly uh, different. Um, <laughs> extraordinary story, really. Uh, it's from the news shopper, again. Uh, the story is by Tim McFarlane. It was also on the 10th of June. I think the last one was on the 10th of June, wasn't it? So we had two of these stories in a day. Yeah. Uh, Dartford mother, in quotes, angry, angry Rob, to find dead foal bagged and abandoned in a ditch. (laughs) A mother from Dartford has told of her anger at finding a dead foal wrapped in a plastic bag (laughs) abandoned in a ditch. Hazel Evans, 31, was returning to her car in Crockenhill Lane, Swanley, at around 12pm yesterday, June 9th, after a morning at the Pedham Place Farm car boot sale. Sounds fun. When partner Dean Goodger, 43, came across the gruesome find. The black and white baby horse was stuffed into a large transparent sack along with a brown floor rug in a ditch not far from the road. The Willow Road resident told New Shopper, when Dean, her partner, first told me there was a dead foal in a bag, I welled up and nearly cried. When I actually saw it, I felt very angry. It's understandable an animal might die, but there are better ways of disposing of them than chucking them in a bag and dumping it in a ditch. I can't necessarily how, think of any... How did they come across this? And, and, and secondly, why did they open the bag? I mean, OK. It's transparent bag, Rob. It's been oh, clear. Sorry, it's a see-through that. bag. Oh, the oh. nightclub administrator kept daughter Tiana and her friend, Chloe Rossiter, both ten, waiting in the car. Tiana? The mo- yes. Mother of what, the mother of one said, we didn't let them go up there and see it, as Tiana would have been in pieces if she had. Would you like a see, to see a picture, Rob, uh, of the... A dead horse in a bag? Of a dead horse in a bag. Yeah, I mean, it's on. been... It, it, yeah, it, 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 I don't know if it's been chopped up or just uh, contorted into that shape. That's what a dead foal in the see-through bag looks like. No, that's not a dead foal. That's a porpoise. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, one comment on this story, Rob. Uh, It's from Paul Bexley Heath, which I don't know is another... It might be another alias for Paul Erith. It could be. be. Is it Erith? I don't know. Paul Bexley Heath just says, fucking pikeys, I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) If in doubt, blame it on the pikeys. It could be be them. The next one I'm going with, Rob, is again from the new shopper. It's by Sarah Trotter. This is on the next day, the 11th of June. Down and widower condemns vandal who trashed Weiss Grove Park grave. Oh. This is pretty sick, I have to say. A widower has condemned the disgraceful thieves who robbed his wife's Grove Park grave of sentimental tributes, including a Mother's Day card. The family of Emine Wright, 46, who died from a rare form of cancer last February, found her grave had been ransacked of items such as cards, flowers, teddies and cancer research medals. Why would you Jesus do this? Christ. Her husband, Mark Wright, says he is dev- his devastated daughter discovered the callous act when she went to tend to her mother's grave at Grove Park Cemetery. Speaking of his wife, who is known to friends and family as Julie, I'm not sure why, the father of six says, she only passed away in February last year. My daughter went up there and ab- is absolutely devastated. It's all sentimental things. It isn't a lot of money to us, but it's priceless. It is disgraceful. My daughter loves going up there and tending to it because it was obviously her mum. She used to make it look really nice. She didn't even recognise the grave. Now, this was the bit that interested me, Rob. It's Lewisham Council. They run the Marvels Lane-based cemetery. And a Lewisham Council spokeswoman said, the council takes a great, great care to ensure a cemetery are kept in a condition that is respectful to people's loved ones. As part of this, we make sure the grounds are as safe as possible. And this includes, Rob, locking them in the evenings, for locking the cemeteries in the evenings, having staff live on site and advising people on how to look after graves. what? It was the... Which bit? Staff living on site. That's a job and a half. Do you want to live in a cemetery? Oh! Someone actually lives there. Staff, not just... Yeah, staff. Somebody lives on site there. That's... How how would you recruit to that kind of job? And Rob, if you're living on site in a cemetery and you're there on your own, you know, and the lonely evenings draw in, 
I'm just thinking. Alex, I, th- I think we need to stop that there. Okay, I was just saying. <laughs> and the last one, Rob, on my on my quad quadruple story uh, theme here of death. This is the best one, Rob. Uh, and again, this story I don't think is reported with any hint of irony. This could be a, this could be a, the day to day story. Uh, it could be it could be one of those for anybody who was a fan of that program that was on BBC Two in the nineties. Uh, it's by Stephen Smith, Rob. Uh, it's on the tenth of June. So all these all these death related stories happened around the same day. Right. Okay. Back from the dead, EastEnders legend to host Bournemouth Good Funeral Awards. <laughs> God. I think this is one of the best stories we've had, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a good Funeral Award. Yeah, it gets better. Um, she's already died once, but her household name is coming back from the dead to host the second Bournemouth Good Funeral Awards this year. Second. Pam St. Clement, who won a claim for her depiction of death of Pat Butcher... It's Pat Butcher! ...on EastEnders, is coming down... I mean, she has got nothing better to do. Panto, it can't get any work there, but there's a good funeral. That's the sort of thing Partridge would do, no? Yes, it is. No, absolutely. Yeah. She's coming to town, Rob, to host a ceremony which aims to celebrate excellence in the industry. Rob's looking genuinely shocked. More than 200 nominations have already <laughs> more than 200 nominations have already been received from members of the public and the trade for the awards which will reach their climax on September 7th at a glittering ceremony in Bournemouth when everything gets set on fire yeah. and ashes scatter around the country. There are 14 categories including Rob including we need some Oscar themed music here. Yeah. Most promising new funeral director. <laughs> is it sorry is it going to be things like isn't that great? Yeah. Most promising new funeral director, rising star. I mean, he it's, it's a strange to, job, isn't it? Because you can't be too enthusiastic as a funeral jester. Oh, he's, okay. I tell you what we can do. We can make a custom made coffin. So, you yeah, know, yeah. it kind of detracts from the uh, the solemn uh, It does. Would you like to know some of the other categories, Rob? Of course. Coffin supplier of the year. Okay. Um, and best alternative hearse and grave digger of the year. <laughs> Best alternative. Best alternative. I don't know if this is one category. I don't think that word should be used in that sentence. I don't know, Rob. I don't know. (laughs) It's like a funky hearse, is it? A hearse that's been pimped. Pimp my hearse. No, no, no. no, MTV, if you're listening, I've I've trademarked that. Listen, I don't know if this is one category, Rob. Best alternative hearse and gravedigger of the year. I assume that's two separate ones. So best alternative hearse of the year and best gravedigger of the year. What is that like if you can dig a grave really speedily... Or is it that if you get the dimensions exactly I right? I think it's the dimensions. It has to be. You have to make sure that the lines of the grave are, are, are smooth, they're parallel. But who would want to go up and receive an award and thank all their colleagues in the trade and the public? For Alex, anyone who goes to the Funeral of the Year Award? Who has to do? Yeah, do, they, Butcher. do they have Best ne- Necrophiliac of the Year, I wonder? Just following on from my comments before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is organised by Brian Jenner and Charles Cowling, author of The Good Funeral Guide. Fascinating read. Let's get that book. Yeah. Charles said, engaging the public with mortality is hard. We hope that Pam will bring some gravitas and humour to the awards. I'm not sure that... Oh, okay. Some of the nicest, most decent, most professional people in Britain work tirelessly in service of the bereaved. We want to tell their stories and say thank you. The awards will be part of a weekend of activities at the Ocean View Hotel and the Cottonwood Hotel from September 6th to 8th. It will include lectures, a procession of hearses and death cafes. Opportunities to discuss the Grim Reaper over tea and cake. A death cafe. I don't know if they serve weasel poo coffee. Maybe. This is, this is brilliant because it's so far past humorous. It's come back round to... Being humorous. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Uh, well, in a session... This is just random comment here, Rob. In a session sponsored by the Green Funeral Company, 
Psychiatrist Dr. Ben Sessa will speak about the use of psychedelic drugs in the care of the terminally ill. <laughs> would you like me to read that again, Rob? In a session sponsored by the Green Funeral Company, psychiatrist Dr. Ben Sessa will speak about the use of psychedelic drugs in the care of the terminally ill. So this is presumably a new idea to give people who are terminally ill acid. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they could experience uh, an even worse trip than the, the terminal pain that they're already going through. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Organisers, Rob, last uh, bit of the story, said the purpose of the funeral awards event was to penetrate the fog of mystery, a misunderstanding that swirls around the funeral industry, and to spotlight its stars. Sorry, to penetrate the fog of mystery? And misunderstanding that swirls around the funeral industry. People just don't understand that the funeral industry. Amazing People like you don't understand the funeral industry. I'm only sad that I'm not going to get an invite to the, to the awards. Absolutely. Right, Rob, it's time for our listener story segment of the week. Yes. Um, it's a welcome return to Jack. Don't say it's Shay. No, it's not, no. It's, no, no offence, Shay, but, you it, know. Alex, I've told you about this. Don't stop slagging off the listeners. Sorry. We're struggling as it is. Um, what was I saying? Yes, right. So it's, it's a welcome return to Jack Oldham. It's a story from... from uh, no, that's uh, Ben... Halifax. Halifax, yeah. This uh, Didn't didn't Jack Oldham originally live down in Brighton or something? And no, th- that's that's Ben again. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, he lives in Todd Morden in Yorkshire. Right. So this is a story from the Todd Morden News. It's very confusing. Yeah, I know. That's why I deal with these kind of things. Hot pasty burned my mouth, said a claimed <laughs> customer. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It will hot pasty will burn your mouth. Well, uh, that's basically just the story. A customer claims a cheese pasty served up by his local bakery was so hot it burned his mouth severely. Graham Walker of Garden Street, Todd Morden, says that two weeks ago, after eating a spoonful of pasty, a spoonful, a spoonful, you don't eat pasty with a spoon. You'll, you'll, you'll find out why. Uh, which he bought at, I think it's called Oddie's Bakery. Oddie's, yeah, it's not run by Bill Oddie. I, I don't know what he's doing. Oddie's Bakery is that brilliant? Uh, Oddie's, no Oddie's. Oddie's, Oddie's, Oddie's like, yeah, like, like, like the like Bill Oddie. Yep. Um, Has Bill Oddie been caught up in actually? Forget it. Retract um, <laughs> <laughs> any suggestion that I just made. I mean, you I'm just asking. He was around that sort of time, but no, he hasn't. No, he's a decent man. Yeah. Which he bought Oddie's Bakery in Bond Street, Todd Morden. Has um, his mouth was still altered. Mr. Walker, 33, said he had to miss work to seek medical help for the injury and has struggled to eat or drink normally in the, in the days following the incident on May the 20th. He is also concerned about what would happen if a child had eaten it, he said. The child would have burnt their mouth. Yeah. Mr. Walker... would have exploded in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of volcano of cheese pasty. I, I suspect that maybe the child would have thought, oh, this is hot, maybe I should leave a few minutes. Just thinking, Mr. Walker... Mr. Walker said... Maybe you did leave it for a few minutes, Rob. Maybe it had been overcooked. Why do you always come down on the side of the perpetrator and never the victim? I've noticed this about you. Alex, I'm reporting on a man who burned his, his mouth with a cheese pasty. Have you ever burned your mouth, Rob? I have. It hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. Not to the, uh, I'll show you the picture. It does actually look quite severe. Right. Um, Mr. Walker said he was not warned about how hot the pasties might be, but the bakery, whose headquarters are in Nelson, Lancashire, said there's a difference of opinion over the version of events. He had stopped staff putting his pasty and mushy peas container into a bag because he intended to eat it straight away. It was a perfect opportunity for, for them to tell me it had just come out of the oven. I said... What do you, what do you mean, perfect opportunity? What, what do you expect it's come out of? 
The chicken hasn't been sitting on it, warming it for you, you arse. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I said, no, I'm going to eat it now. Hang on. No to what? Uh, to then put it into the bag. Right. It, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, so yeah, so there's the staff... So basically, me must have ordered... Would you like us to put it in the bag for you, sir? No, I want to eat it now. Yeah. A spoonful of peas were not overly hot, so he followed it with a spoonful of pasty. I didn't realise straight away, but when I got home, I thought I'd burn my mouth. So, <laughs> hang on a minute, you're telling me he ate a mouthful of pasty and... He got home. And then he got home and realised he burnt his mouth. So the burn... So you'd notice a burn when it happens. You would have thought so. I yeah. burnt my uh, little finger today on my oven quite badly. I've got a big blister. I felt the burn as soon as it happened. And more immediately, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's the adrenaline that he was experiencing at the time. <laughs> he, said he, he said he rang the bakers who said he had been told it was hot, which he disputes. I said, even if you did tell me, you didn't expect it to be burning hot, he said. <laughs> this guy's a plank. <laughs> Isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he understands goods were supposed to be on a cooling down rack after coming out of the oven, he said. Health and hygiene manager for, manager for Ollie's Bakery, Maureen Turner said, there's a difference of opinion over events, but she could not comment further on the matter at this point. There is very much a difference of opinion of, of events that occurred at the shop between Mr. Walker and members of the staff. I cannot say any more at this stage, she said. Mr. Walker, a self-employed property man- maintenance worker, said he had to seek medical treatment and had to take medication to kill the pain so he could eat. Um, he had to take five days off work and go back to his doctor, worrying about the possibility of infection. Speaking at the end of last week, he said, I can't have hot drinks and I'm a big tea drinker. I can drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> or any other cold food. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> um, I love this guy. I want to hear more from him. Like, I bet he has these things go on on a daily basis. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the red mass on the photograph has been replaced with a collection of blisters there, he said. Do you want to see the picture? Oh, yeah. Well, not really, but I guess if I must. There are pictures as well. Uh, sorry, I just love the fact well, that he's I mean. taken pictures of, of his mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, it does look it. like it's burnt the roof of his mouth off. To be yeah, fair. yeah, it does. It just does look like he could also use wood brushing his teeth. But I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that didn't happen. Like from from a bit of the the, the, the pasty crust. Absolutely, I mean, it, it, it could have been a hard bit of crust. It could have been. They're taking it straight off. Yeah, yeah. It could be an exceptionally mushy peas that ripped the lining off his mouth. Exceptionally mushy. Yeah. Well, they'd be exceptionally unmushy, wouldn't they? They'd be hard peas. Shut up. A few comments. Yes. Summerled55 says, nasty pasty. Um, Very good. Or nasty pasty, if you're posh. Yeah, I was going to say that, but I thought I might get mocked. Um, nasty pasty. Mr. Walker decides to comment on the article, as you would. Uh, and so there's two, there's two comments. From him? Yeah. Brilliant. I cannot ha- understand how my version of events are different to theirs. Should have followed their advice and brought some Bongella. Not even a letter of apology. Disgusting. What if it been one of the, my kids? Yeah, you keep going on. So, I do like the fact that obviously they advised him just to buy some Bongella and basically just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, he then follows it up and say, Oh, and guessing the staff have now seen the picture as they refuse to look at it. Um, it I'm uh, guessing. I like the impression that he's, he's taken gone, the picture and he's gone into the bakery. No, so I think he's gone there to have a look in my mouth. He's literally went, li- opened his mouth and pointed. The next comment is by a commenter who I think may be being sarcastic. Uh, it's by J McKee eight seven five seven two. I bought some hot food once. I tentatively, tentatively bit into it as I suspected it was hot. 
<laughs> the food and detail had to be hot. Apparently, it just came out of the oven. By employ- employing this simple yet effective technique, I avoided scalding my mouth. Thankfully, the eating skills that I gave in- gained in early life as a mere <laughs> infant, in fact, had paid off, and it was a proud day. <laughs> if I was you, I, I would have kept my... <laughs> Sorry. I would have kept my in- ineptitude quiet. Quite. Yeah. Uh, Billy Berry Pie says, Perhaps you should have also learned to blow his nose, as well as blow his hot food. Not rocket science, is it? Then a few puns just to finish off the quote. It's not funny, though, and nothing to crow about. What's the pun? It's not funny. What's not got to do with the story? About blowing the nose? I assume so. Right. So he... Unless it's just a misspelling. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mr. Walker comments again. <laughs> I knew he would. <laughs> and he's really trying to fight his corner. They never mentioned it had been hot, and the fact that... <laughs> Did you ask for a cold pasty or a hot one? I can understand if he asked for a cold pasty. Then we'd have sympathy with him, yeah? Yeah. But he's never said I expected it to be cold. No. They never mentioned it had been hot. And the fact that it had been, and the fact that it had come out of an industrial oven. Cheese stays molten! <laughs> and this is why they put it on the cooling racks. This is my fault. They didn't do this because I didn't blow my nose. This okay. is my fault? Uh, is he admitting it? Yes, this, this is my fault. This is my fault they didn't do this. So he's saying it was his fault that he didn't put on the cooling racks, but they should have told him it was molten. And molten cheese. It was molten cheese. It's hotter than the sun. <laughs> and I didn't do this. And so, right, so he says, and this is my fault that they didn't do this because I didn't blow my nose. Okay, and to the last comment, I wouldn't want this to happen to any of my children, but never mind, uh, to any children, never mind my own. <laughs> what does he keep going on about children for? I don't know. Not being able to eat or drink anything for a week, absolutely famished a child, would have been able to cope. Anyway, I am a true Yorkshire man who can cope with all the negative comments and come out stronger at the other end. Shame certain bakeries can't. <laughs> One final thing. I have been a regular for the past two years, at least twice a week, not just some money grabber moaner. They need to step up the responsibilities. Jay McKee comments again, just saying, if you buy an ice cream in a shop, it isn't ex- explicitly stated that it's going to be cold either. Are you going to write to the top, the top morning news with a similar tale of woe about sensitive teeth? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of Local Anesthetic Podcast this week, uh, episode 67. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, our, what are we calling the people again? Anesthesiacs. Anesthesiacs. And I think we've all learned a valuable lesson. Please blow on your pasties. Absolutely. Take care. God bless. Oh.